Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ah, motherhood. One minute, your mom of the year. I love you, mommy. Then the next? Mm, not so much. From bath time to bullying, from potty training to puberty, parenting is full of challenges. But one thing is for certain, you are not alone. Welcome to Modern Mom Probs. I'm your host, author, mother, parenting expert, Tara Clark. Join me while we tackle today's Modern Mom Problems. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Modern Mom Probs. I'm your host, Tara Clark. Here on Modern Mom Probs, we're trying to solve the world's problems, but if we can't, hey, at least we're having fun talking about it. Happy New Year. I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday season, and we are back now with new episodes. Today, we are talking about the setback cycle, how defining moments can move us forward and I am joined by Amy Schoenthal. Amy Schoenthal is a journalist, author, and marketing executive with nearly two decades of experience in social media marketing. As a top contributor to Forbes Women, Amy shines the spotlight on those who have been historically underestimated, yet are doing the work to solve society's biggest problems. The Setback Cycle, her new book about how leaders persevere in triumph over setbacks, is coming out in March. Amy, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. So you've interviewed hundreds of people, right? You know, world leaders, politicians, fashion icons, Peloton instructors. I mean, you name it. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I have been studying the habits of successful leaders for probably the better part of the last decade or maybe more based on my own consumption before I was interviewing them myself. And so it's been, it's been really incredible. You know, I obviously, I get a little, a little nervous when I talk to some high profile folks, but luckily when you sit in a room with someone or you sit on a zoom, you you know, you just ask them about themselves and they start talking about their journey and everyone's very happy to share. And I think, I think one of the things I do well is I make people feel very comfortable in my presence. And so they're comfortable telling me not just, you know, the highlights reel, they get into like the messy middle and what they had to overcome to get to where they were and why their story is so fascinating. Cause I mean, no one wants like the neat, clean, shiny story anymore. Like we want to know what they had to go through and why it was so interesting and transformational. Yeah, no, absolutely. You definitely do radiate that feeling comfortable thing. And I, and I tried to do that as well. So I think that's why we click. And I was also laughing to myself because in the book, which we'll get to in a second, in the book, you mention six degrees of Amy's show at one point. <laughs> Yes, you do. And I was laughing because I was thinking about how many different touch points you and I have, because we met at Pamela Peckerman's house, and we met at Mom 2.0. And in the book, you mention Amy Nelson from The Riveter. Ironically, I was just reading her like New Year's 
email. And then I like put my phone down and then I flipped the page in your book and the next chapter was her story. And I was like, Oh my God, that's so weird. (laughs) And, um, I feel like there's more and then we have more touch points, but I was just laughing because I, and then I was laughing not only because we had the touch points, but because you mentioned the six degrees of Amy show. Yes, it is a truthful telling of my life. But, but that six degrees of Amy show was an observation that my old boss and mentor made before I saw it. And that's why I put it in the book because I, I think that might have been in the superpowers chapter. And it's, yep. it talks about how, or maybe it's the community chapter. It talks about how other people can sometimes see your gifts and your, I don't know, what you radiate a little bit more clearly than you see yourself. So when you are trying to figure out what your superpower is. When you are trying to work your way out of a setback, it's nice to go to those around you because they can see these things. But yes, you are like living proof that that six degrees of Amy show is absolutely accurate. And I'm sure people listening have many connections as well. Yeah, I'm sure they do. And I loved that part of the chapter because I am everyone's hype person. I am like the ultimate hype girl. I am. I'm constantly like hyping everyone. Like, and if if you know me as a person, you know me professionally, like I am always hyping everyone up almost sometimes to like my own detriment. Cause I'm like, Oh God, what am I good at aside from hyping people up? And so I I found that chapter really useful. It's so much easier to like see the gifts of those around you than to be introspective and see it yourself. And also I think as women and especially as moms, we've sort of been conditioned not to brag or not to see ourselves or even position ourselves outwardly in a flattering light. We're supposed to just be givers and we are supposed to be hype people. And like, I am also a hype person. I try to hype the people around me and make them like see all the things that they have to offer and kind of mirror that back to them. But I feel like over the past few years, I've started to also force myself to do it for myself. And just like little by little, I think it has paid dividends. So that maybe that's a modern mom problem. I think <laughs> others so. too much. I Not think it is. Enough. Because going back to Pamela Peckerman, she always says a closed mouth doesn't eat. Exactly. And so I think that's a, a good motto. I'm going to, I always stick that one in my pocket. And, and when I'm too shy about things, I sometimes, think about Pamela and then bring that one out. And and she's right. And so we should give ourselves more credit than we do. Continue to give our friends credit, but also give ourselves more credit. Yep. Give ourselves credit. Ask for what we need. I mean, this past month and this, as I move forward before book launch, we have like two months or two months out. I have been in like asking mode right? Like I emailed you and I was like, Hey, can I be on your podcast? And that was super uncomfortable. You know, usually people just invite me on their podcast or invite me to speak. And now I'm like, I have to actually go tap that network, tap those six degrees of Amy show and really try to get this story out there so that people know about the book can buy it because writing a book is one thing, but marketing a book and being able to sell it is a whole other. And so I have had to kind of overcome that discomfort of asking for help and shining a light on, you know, someone's our own accomplishments. And so this is like, you know, if you really struggle with it, write a book and then try to market it because you will really have to overcome (laughs) a lot of those (laughs) hesitations. It's absolutely true. And you know what I find? I mean, how quick did I respond to you and say, absolutely, pick a day, immediately, right? And so you, you would find that I think most people would be so willing to help. 
They do. And Everyone so it's, wants to help. It's in our own mind that we're like, oh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to bother them. They're so busy. They're going to say no. And like, that's not always the case. It's not always the case. And also, if it is, you're no worse off than before you asked. Oh, good call. I've gotten a few no's. That's okay. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, I got a lot of yeses, but I got a few no's. And I'm actually more comfortable getting no's because I've had to kind of put myself out there a little bit more than normal. So So, yeah, so let's talk about the book. You have a new book coming out. It's called The Setback Cycle, How Defining Moments Can Move Us Forward. So what inspired you to write a book about setbacks in the first place? It really came from me interviewing all these founders and leaders over the past decade. And the more conversations I had, I think the more you do anything, the more trends and themes and patterns you start to see. And so the more conversations I had and the more, I guess, in-depth I got into people's journeys, it seemed like there was this formula to everyone's story. And it wasn't always like I made a mistake or everything dramatically fell apart or I saw this opportunity and I seized it. Like it was always sort of, there was some sort of thing that bumped me backwards on the path I was on and I had to reroute and I had to navigate this whole new situation. Again, whether that was just an obstacle they faced or a mistake they made or a trauma, but also a setback is not just one of those things. Like there's been a lot written about post-traumatic growth or learning from our mistakes or rethinking or failing big, right? Remember that whole movement? (laughs) Yeah, whatever happened to that? (laughs) I mean, people were like, why are you telling us to go out and fail? Not all of us have the privilege to go out and like make mistakes and fail publicly. Very much so. (laughs) That's like a very, you know, white man, Silicon Valley, like motto. VC-backed motto. Yeah, like we can't do that. I can't go out and try to fail. I don't want to also... I don't want to glorify failure. Like it's not fun. It's not great. But a setback isn't always a failure. You know, some of them are subtle. Some of them are nuanced. And yes, some of them are big and dramatic. And, you know, the one like our friend Amy Nelson and, you know, things like that. And so I just started to do a little bit of digging and poking around. And I was reading all the business psychology books to try to figure out what has been written about the concept of setbacks again, outside of just learning from our mistakes or recovering after a trauma. And there was sort of no in between. And that's what led me to just start writing stuff down. And at first, I think I wanted to just do an article on it, but it felt a little bigger than a 1500 word story. And then once I saw it, and you'll see this now that you've read the book, and even people who are listening now that they're starting to understand what the setback cycle is, Once you see it, you kind of see everything through this lens. And so once I noticed it, I was writing my articles, I was profiling leaders, and I just started seeing everything through the lens of setbacks. And that's when I started talking to experts about it, psychologists, executive coaches, neuroscientists, and said, is this a thing? Is this a thing? And I called my friend who's a book coach and I said, could this be a book? And she was like, oh, hell yeah, that's a book. So, and now it is actually a book. So it's very exciting. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that she said, hell yeah, because there is definitely a there there. I always quote my old boss and, and he used to say that there's a there there. But like, how do you know when you're in a setback. It, like you said, it doesn't have to be a whole thing where, you know, the cops are coming to your door to take you away. It could be something more nuanced of, like you said, like waking up each morning and kind of being like, ah, I don't really want to go to work today. Yeah. I don't have a great answer for this because you don't always know if you're in a setback. 
you can be working through the cycle and not realize there's four phases of the cycle. And you could be in phase three once you look back and realize, oh my God, this whole thing was a setback. The reason I'm here is because of a setback I experienced, you know, three years ago, 40 years ago. And you don't always realize it when you're in it. And, and that's kind of, that's another reason I wrote the book to help people identify when they're in a setback. Because like you said, you know, waking up every day and sort of going through the most motions of your day-to-day life, whether it be work or, you know, parenting or housework or whatever it is, if you are finding that you are super dis- disengaged or stressed or something is feeling really daunting, it could be a sign that you're in a setback. It could be a sign of something obviously much more serious and you should seek professional help if, if that's the case. But going through the emotions and feeling really disengaged with your life, with your work is definitely a sign that you could be going through a setback. If you feel something in your gut, it is there's something there and you should you should dig into what it is. Yeah, there, there's something your body is telling you something. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've gone through this. Yeah, I, I was in a setback for years before I realized what it was. And it was while I was writing this book. And I feel like maybe that's why I was so attracted to the topic because I was like, maybe if I can learn from them, I can understand how to work through my own. And so that's definitely a motivation here. Yeah, absolutely. I find that so often with our work, right? That we we throw ourselves into something obviously to help the greater good, but also it's like scratching our own itch of, I need to learn more about this. I need to dive into this to help my my own life. So why did I start to see it so clearly in these tellings? It's because I was looking for my own answers. Right, right. Absolutely. So you referenced four different phases. Can you walk me through those? I can. So phase one, we kind of touched on there. It's establish because when you are entering a setback, you don't always recognize it. And so establish is the first phase, you know, name it to tame it, all that stuff, like same with setbacks. You have to understand what you're in in order to kind of wake up and say, okay, I'm in a setback. And also once you realize it, like if you realize you're really disengaged with your job and you hate it and you might want to make a career change, this is not the time to just blow up your life. No, 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 no. I don't recommend blowing up your life. If you have a mortgage, you have bills to pay, you have health insurance, like don't just quit your job and like go travel the world. This is like, again, we're not like glorifying. We're not failing big. We're not failing big. We're not glorifying pain. We're not glorifying like blowing up your life because then, you know, two months later you're out of money and you're like, what the hell did I just do? Yeah. But what you can do is establish what you're in and then you have to actually really dig into why this is happening and why this feels like a setback. That takes us into the second phase, which is embrace. So once you establish you're in a setback, you recognize it for what it is, you have to do a little introspection and say like, what, why am I in a setback? Why does this feel this way? Why do I, you know, feel like I have been bumped backwards? Because remember, the definition of a setback is a reversal in progress, you know, so you're working towards something, you're going in a direction, and then all of a sudden, you go backwards unexpectedly, and usually unpleasantly. And so you have to kind of work out, you know, a lot of a really good example of this is a divorce, right? You're working on something, you're in a relationship, you're moving forward, you have all these plans for the future, and then bam, you're unexpectedly bumped backwards. And you kind of have to figure out, okay, like, what did I not like about that? And what do I 
not want to take into my future path. And same thing with a career or a business partner breakup or a business failing, an investor pulling out. What did I not like? Okay, I did this thing. It totally failed. What can I do differently? And there's a, you know, it's a lot, that's an oversimplification of it. But when you embrace it, you really have to just like dig for the clues so that you can figure out a a clearer and more purposeful path forward. It definitely sounds more purposeful than just embracing it and saying like, oh, well, that happened. Yeah. And then that's it. But if you really, like you said, dig into the clues, then it's a teachable moment for your next phase. Exactly. And it makes sure that you don't just sort of repeat the same patterns, like you get fired, you get laid off. So you go seek the same kind of a job that like that might not be the best path. So just and maybe it is, but just go figure it out and and do it intentionally, not just like by inertia or by, you know, I think like this is what I should do. This is the way I've always done it. So I might as well keep doing it the same way I've always done it for the last 30 years. Right. So that might not be the best path forward. So then Once you embrace it and you dig up all the clues and you say, okay, this is something I think I might be interested in. This is something I don't want to do anymore. Then you get into the explore phase, which frankly is my favorite phase. It's when you get to try new stuff out and figure out what you like. And this is the phase, I think, where the six degrees comes in because this is when you start to rely on your community. You know, you go to people and you say, I think, you know... I don't want to be an executive anymore. I think I might want to transition over to coaching. Is this crazy? I feel like I'm starting over, you know? And then you talk to people who have done it. You talk to people who know people and you just start to explore different things. You practice, you test out new ideas. Like this is this is the fun part, right? This is when you figure out where you're, what your superpowers are, not just what you're good at, but what you're motivated to do. So this is like the more fun part of the, like you just did a lot of introspection and now you're kind of like exploring outwards. So it's a little bit more fun. Calling all parents of tiny titans, future CEOs, and mini movers and shakers. Is your little one a whirlwind of big dreams and even bigger tantrums? Do they have the potential to be unstoppable, but lack the tools to navigate the everyday chaos? Then buckle up, because Tapouts, the ultimate kids coaching program, is here to unleash your child's inner champion. Tapouts isn't about karate or soccer drills. It trains kids in building resilience, confidence, and communication skills that last a lifetime. Their expert coaches, who are basically superheroes in disguise, will help your child harness their energy to channel their power into positive action, face their fears by equipping them with the tools to overcome challenges and build emotional muscle. Forget tantrums and misunderstandings. Tapouts fosters clear communication, empathy, and healthy relationships. Discover their passions, whether it's building robots, painting masterpieces, or saving the planet. Tapouts helps kids find their spark and ignite their unique talents. Tapouts isn't just a program, it's a community, a village of supportive parents, empowered kids, and coaches who believe in your child's magic. So, ready to watch your little one tap into their full potential? Visit tapouts.com today and unlock a free trial session. P.S. Don't forget, the seeker code is TARA50 for 50% off your first month. Yeah, that, that's way more fun. But you know what's funny? Do you find that people sometimes get stuck in the explore phase? 
So I find people get stuck in the next phase, which is emerge. Oh. So the fourth phase of the setback cycle is when you technically are supposed to be climbing out of your setback, but where people really get stuck, so they've they've embraced it, they've acknowledged the moment they're in, they explore all their options. That's the really fun part, but it's also kind of non-committal. Yeah. You're exploring and you're testing stuff out. But then when you get to emerge, it's like you've done all this work. You've done all this work and you've planned and you've strategized and you've tested things out. And now you have that path forward and you know what you want to do or you know what you're going to try to do and you've like made a decision or you've made, you've narrowed down your options. Maybe you haven't fully made a decision. This is the part where you have to now go take action. And that's the part where sometimes you're just exhausted by all the planning and the work and you just need to like lay down and rest and absorb. I kind of, I don't know, like it's, it's a new year, right? It's January. And I think a lot of people spend the end of December or the beginning of January thinking, okay, here's all the new habits I'm going to form. Here's all the commitments I'm going to make. I'm avoiding the word resolution for, because I feel like people are trying to rebrand resolution. They totally are. And I'm like, no, it's still a resolution. You're still t- trying to like change yourself in some way. <laughs> yep. like, okay, sure. Whatever works. And then it just, you know, the calendar turns and you're supposed to put all these new habits into practice and it just feels exhausting. And so it's the same with the emerge phase. You have to go do the thing that you've been planning to do, but taking action is the hardest, you know? And so I would just say, give yourself grace, rest, do it slowly. There's a couple exercises in the book that kind of help you get over that. If by the end of the setback cycle, you're just kind of tired, but yeah, just give yourself grace and, and go slowly. Yeah, I I thought this morning, it's funny that you're saying that. So today is the first like official work day after the holiday, right? We just had New Year's. And I woke up this morning. So if you would have asked me yesterday as I went to bed, like, are you going to wake up motivated and ready to tackle the world? Yes, 100%. Same. This morning, my alarm clock went off and I thought, just no. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Just just no. (laughs) Oh my God. I posted on LinkedIn this morning. I was like, hi, anyone else like make all these grand plans and like journal and strategize. And now we're just feeling like very overwhelmed by this. And I like, it's blowing up right now. Is everyone it? Feels the oh, same I way. have to comment everyone on that. I felt it's the like, same way. I woke up and I was like, just no. And I, I was so looking forward to chatting with you today. Cause like, you're like the highlight of my day. So same, same <laughs> feelings mutual. I was so excited. We had this. I was like, good. We're just going to talk and chat and catch up. And yes. I'm not, I'm going to ignore my inbox. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to ignore all of the 2024 yeah. strategy stuff that I told yeah. myself that I was going to work on today. I'll put that off to another day. Exactly. Exactly. You have to rest after you plan, you have to rest before you take action. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because I'm thinking from like a timeline perspective now. Now, there is no set timeline for one's setback cycle, nope. right? No, because you have you have the major life-changing, like altering setbacks, but then you could also have, you know, a dozen micro setbacks in one day. Your mom, you had little kids, like you trying to get your kids out the door to school. How many setbacks does one endure? Oh my while gosh. Trying yeah. to get your kids out the door to school or God, especially this morning back to school after the break. Like 
how many setbacks did you go through this morning? By the time you sat down at your desk, like, were you, no wonder you were tired. Yeah, exactly. The limit does not exist. Exactly. (laughs) So there's the major ones. And then there's, you also could be in a major setback. And then there's a couple people in the book where that this happened to, where they were kind of working through their big setback and experienced more along the way. And this is not to deter anyone. It's just sort of labeling something that already happens to us. Yeah. No, I I love like putting a name to it. In this book, you interviewed, I mean, a ton of people. You interviewed Amanda from House of Wise, who I had met a couple years ago at Mom 2.0. I love House of Wives. Give a a big shout out to to her. I mean, she's no longer with the company, but give a big shout out to her. There you go. Let's drop right on my desk. I love it. I really (laughs) highly, highly recommend that you think that they would giving her a shout out. So in the book, obviously, you go through several different stories and then you relate it to their setback cycle. So walk me through some of your favorite. I don't want you to pick one. It's like having children. Like you can't pick pick one one. child, right? Would you be comfortable sharing one story with me? Yes. Wait, should we talk about, I feel like I was going to talk about another one, but maybe we should talk about Amanda's because why not? She had a great quote in her story. She said when, and I'm going to, I'm probably not going to get this word for word, but she said, women feel like they are holding up a heavy wall that is about to crash down. And when it finally crushes us, the wall falls down. But all of a sudden, if you can stand up and look around, all of a sudden the whole room has opened up. And I thought that was just such a great quote because it, so Amanda's story, she grew up in the Midwest and she had a very sort of traditional upbringing where people were taught, you know, marry young, have kids, you know, that's that's just what you do. That's the path, you know, don't don't do drugs, don't drink alcohol. That's that's like her, that's the thing. And so she got married really young. She had three kids, I believe before the age of 30. And all of us, but she also, you know, she was educated and she built a career. And at some point she kind of realized that her job was lighting her up more than her marriage was. And that was really hard for someone with that upbringing to rectify And so she, but again, like she didn't just blow up her life. She went to, you know, she went through therapy again, something that was not really done in the community she was raised in. And so she went to therapy and she finally was able to say the words, I want a divorce, which was very, very hard for her to do for a very long time because of the stigma attached to it. And finally she was able to say that she took her three kids, she moved, now she's a single mom, and she has this really great career, but it's also burning her out. And she doesn't like the way that, you know, work is kind of taking her away from her family. And she's so stressed. And like every stressed single mom navigating a divorce and a demanding career, she turns to alcohol. And she's drinking a little more than she wants. And she's not feeling great about it. And she started wondering, you know, what else could I do to relieve the anxiety in my life that doesn't make me feel so horrible? And that's when she started researching the benefits of CBD, which again was, you know, now we're in 2024. Oh my God, 2024. It's so weird to say that. (laughs) And there's, I mean, I'm in New York City. There's a dispensary on every corner. Every corner. 
But like this was back in 2017, 2018, where it was still very, very stigmatized. It was very like everything was like weed themed and it was like seen as a drug. And so she starts exploring the benefits of CBD and she she like makes a conscious decision to get the to figure out how to get the like feeling high out of the process. And so she creates she starts creating this company called House of Wise, named after Brownie Wise, who was the original founder of the Tupperware parties. And she has an amazing story. And I write about that in the book. And so Amanda navigates like, for, uh, and then we go into the pandemic, because don't forget, she starts the company in like 2018, 2019. And so she's now recently divorced, a single mom to three kids, creating a company that has incredible stigma around it. And so she's not only navigating like, a societal setback, a personal relationship setback. She's now having to navigate all kinds of business setbacks. Like she can't even get a bank to like process payments so she can sell her product because it's classified as like selling drugs. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So in the nascency of an industry, like you have to overcome so many obstacles to build, to build out your vision. So that's Amanda's story, which I think is a good concept of like a big setback with a couple small ones or not even, they weren't even that small, just like yeah, they were all pretty big. Yeah, they were all pretty big. But she is a great story. And she like kind of comes out of it with a new approach to rethinking how to, you know, position work and balance it with your life. And, you know, she ran this company and she offered people, you know, four day work week, work from home, no meeting Friday, you know, things like that. And she really was one of the first to be rethinking how we all approach work. Yeah. And now she's she has a new project, mm-hmm. right? She has like a newsletter project, I think. Yeah. She's basically, yeah, she's doing lots of different stuff. I don't know how much of it is public. I'm sure she'll announce a big one soon. But she is putting a lot out into the world about how people can rethink their relationship with work and how to navigate obstacles and how to make the most of their day and be the most productive without burning out. Yeah. She, she's incredible. She's awesome. I can't wait to send her this episode where we just gush about how awesome she is. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, Manda. You're you're an inspiration. Thank you. <laughs> you are. <laughs> so you said that there was another story that you were going to share before I derailed you with Amanda's story. No, we love Amanda's story. I, I'm glad we got to talk about hers. The other one, I I thought I would share Reshma Saujani's story because hers is so focused on amplifying the voices of mothers. You know, she uh, originally created Girls Who Code, and that was created after a setback because she lost an election. But it was on that campaign trail where she saw the gender gap in STEM education and coding, especially between the ages of 13 to 17. And so she now with Girls Who Code has, I think the program has taught over half a million girls how to code in the in the years that it's been in existence but now her her big thing again also like during the pandemic she saw what parents more so mothers had to go through when all of a sudden remote school was happening and there was no federal you know policy to address the fact that moms were trying to work while also trying to do childcare. I mean, like, I feel like anyone listening is probably having horrible flashbacks. flashbacks of that time. And I'm so sorry to bring it back up. But again, that was like a societal level setback that Reshma sort of said, okay, well, like, if no one's doing anything, I'm going to do it. And so she created the Marshall Plan for Moms, which was then 
Now it's called Moms First, and they advocate for federal and local policy to basically acknowledge the unpaid and unrecognized labor of caregivers. And so she had originally recommended some like some financial payments to caregivers, which was very controversial, right? Like it is very hard for people to wrap their head around like you're home with your kids, you should get paid. Well, you're working really hard if you're home with your kids. Like actually kind of agree with that. I think you should get paid. And at least that way it would be a, you know, if you assign a monetary value to that, I think it would be recognized in a bigger way. And so she is working, you know, that's one of the things she's working to figure out with politicians, again, at the local and federal level. And she's working on, you know, just like better childcare options and better support for women who are working outside the home. And so I feel like that was the one I originally planned to share because it it's so focused on a very, very modern mom problem that's actually not that modern. It's kind of like a problem as old as time, but we're talking <laughs> about it more now. So that's nice. It's true. What do you think is one of the biggest modern mom problems right now? Childcare. Absolutely childcare. Because everything comes back to that. If you are someone who chooses to have children, it all falls on you. Economically, financially, care, you know, you you become the caregiver, you become the person who has to figure out how to pay for this, how to respond to the 1500 emails from your school, like the I guess responsibility and the time allotment that is assigned to parents, mostly, again, mostly mothers, but a lot of parents, is unmanageable if you are trying to balance anything other than childcare. And even if you are a person who has made the choice or made, or maybe like not by choice, you've just been by default assigned to stay at home and have your full-time, you know, duties be childcare, there is so much involved and you get so little credit. You get so little credit. Like, oh, you're a stay-at-home mom. Like, and shout out to my friend. Um, Neha. Neha I knew yeah. it. Yes. We're just shouting everybody baby. out we today. Neha, we love you. You're doing we amazing you, things. And she is really trying to change the narrative around stay-at-home motherhood. And it is the other thing is, I think so many parents, so many stay-at-home moms or stay-at-home dads, like they actually work part-time. Like they pick up little jobs here and there and consult. I was doing this a little bit when I got laid off from my job. I was like doing very little work and before my business really scaled up. And I didn't feel that I deserved childcare if I wasn't making a certain amount of money. And I didn't feel that I could call myself I felt like I had to kind of call myself a stay-at-home mom in that brief period of time because like I didn't make enough money or I didn't have enough work to qualify me as someone in the workforce. And I think it's what Neha's platform, which is called Mother Untitled, if you're not familiar, please check her out. What I noticed in all the stories she shares is that most of these stay-at-home people are not at home at all. They are not at home. They are running errands and doing all kinds of things for their families. And they're also mostly like making some sort of salary from a part-time income. So I'm, I love the work she's doing and I love the idea of, of rebranding that. And every, I think every parent deserves childcare, no matter what they do for work and they should have access to it. You know, it shouldn't be so cost prohibitive 
and chi- and childcare workers deserve to get paid more. And so that's the problem. It's a bad cycle because parents can't afford it. Childcare workers aren't making enough. And so, I mean, it, like it's time for policy to, to sort of address that. Yes. Preach, Amy. Preach. <laughs> what do you think was the most surprising thing that you learned during your research for the book? I think the most surprising thing was how many people related to that established phase, the fact that so many setbacks are not obvious. One of the psychologists I spoke to said she's the one who pointed out that by the time most people realize they're in a setback, they're already off to the explore phase. They're figuring out their options. They're doing all the work. Like some people try to, because some people try to skip the establish and embrace phases. I am guilty. I have done that. I continue to do that, even though I wrote the book. I want to skip over the hard stuff. Like I know what I'm supposed to do, but there have been plenty of times where I'm like, I don't want to feel like this. I That's what I was just about to it. say that you took the words out of my mouth. You don't want to feel that way. So no. you therefore need a solution. You jump yeah. to the solution. I want to fast forward through all of my setbacks. Okay. I do, but you can't. <laughs> Unfortunately, you, you can't. can't. Uh, well, actually I will say now having the tools and I like, I know the cycle intimately and came up with it and I wrote it, but like having the tools, like I recently went through just a little something and I was like, why is this making me feel so weird? And I was able to, I think, work through it faster than I would have before I wrote the book because I think I came to the answer of how to address it a little faster because I acknowledged that it was a problem and I needed to address it. If I had buried it down, I think it would have come up later. And if you ignore it, it like it extends the problem. So I think you have to work through the cycle in order to fast forward it is, is the answer. Yeah, that that makes sense. One of the things I love about this book, and there's many things because I devoured it in about a day and a half. But uh, I mean, I like literally devoured this book. I love that. And Tara, you are like probably outside of the editorial team at the publishing company and like a couple of immediate family members. I think you are one of like a handful of people to have this advanced copy of the book. Like I really, I think it's like you and a couple other podcasters were the only ones to get these advanced copies. And so I I mean, I hope to be sending out more, but like you are in a very exclusive club to have read this book at this, at this point in time. So I'm honored. Oh, I'm honored. I'm honored. Thank you. I appreciate that. But what I was going to say is that in the back of the book, you have many worksheets and you have like prompts, question prompts. And when we get off the call today, I'm literally going to sit down and and do some of those and and work through them. But I I love actionable things. You know, I always say, I talk about modern mom problems, but I also like modern mom solutions and like those prompts allow us to find solutions in our own lives. I mean, that was something that was very important to me in writing this book. I don't, and it, and in writing all of my articles and profiles of people, I don't want to dwell on the problems. I want to show the stories of people who noticed the problems and took action to come up with solutions. Again, not only to benefit themselves, but to be- benefit society at large. And I wanted people to like, not only understand the cycle and see how other people work through it, but to be able to recognize it and work through it themselves. So it was very important to me to, when I talked to a lot of the experts in the book, to figure out, you know, what can we give readers? Like, I want to give you guys a playbook to work through your own setback. It's lovely to read stories of people who did it, but until 
you can really adapt it to your own life. You don't really, you're not going to grasp it until you put it in the context of your own experiences. And so that's what these prompts are generally for. I love that. I'm absolutely going to do that. And I didn't give a shout out to Blessing. I love Blessing. She's another good friend of mine too. It's the Six Degrees of Amy show. Oh, cool. of course. <laughs> but I love that story because I, I didn't know the story about her starting work with her baby on her hip. So yep, yep. That was that was a big yeah. one too. And single she mom, like single moms starting their careers with like childcare being a glaring issue. Like no one is gonna just like. Can I curse? Like, no one is going to get shit done like a single mom who has had to navigate, like, a successful career with childcare. Yeah. No one gets shit done like moms. (laughs) Absolutely. A thousand percent, yes. Amy, where can we find this book? When does it come out? It comes out March 19th, but you can pre-order it right now at any major retailer, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, bookshop.org, if you want to support your local indie bookstores. A list of retailers is on thesetbackcycle.com if you want to take a look and learn more about the book and decide where to order it. But yeah, if you order it now, it'll get to your doorstep on March 19th, and you will get the book and the workbook that Tara mentioned. So yeah, it's exciting. That's awesome. Just in time for my birthday. My birthday is at the end of March. So. Happy birthday to you. Although <laughs> Thank you've already you. read the book, so you'll just I get the read physical it. copy. <laughs> exactly. But I, I, I love this. And I really think that everyone should read this. And not just if you know, you're know you working outside of the home, if you are a parent, if you are a human being, everyone suffers from setbacks. There are so many things that I have in my professional life right now that I feel like I I'm in a setback cycle, but that's where I'm going to sit down and do these prompts and work through that for my own self. Amazing. Well, let me know how it goes. I'm I so will. curious. Amy, <laughs> thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This was fantastic. You're the best. You're the best. <laughs> Thanks for listening to today's episode of Modern Mom Probs. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive in today's problem with me, your host, Tara Clark. Join me next time when I'll be interviewing another great guest and tackling another Modern Mom problem. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and a rating. As always, you could head over to Modern Mom Probs on Instagram and give me a follow or check out my book, Modern Mom Probs, A Survival Guide for 21st Century Mothers, available online wherever books are sold. Well, that's it for today. See you next time, folks.